coming to you from the lab where they talk about guns, gear, training, and everything in between. Here are your hosts, Mike and Big Key, and this is The Gun Experiment. How's it going, everybody, and welcome to The Gun Experiment. This week, Keith and I speak to the director of a premier weapons modifications company and discuss building a custom pistol step-by-step. I want to remind everyone that we release new content every Tuesday morning, so be sure to subscribe and share the show with friends. And as always, I cannot start the show without the big man across the table. My co-host, Big Keith, is in the house. Keith, how are you doing? Doing well. Took a nice leisurely stroll up here tonight, and you got me on Gunbroker early, so I'm pretty excited. <laughs> you, had, you, had, you had me go look at a price of something, and now I'm stuck again. Oh, man. You're going to go down that rabbit hole, aren't you? I did, you know, you get on there, and you just like, ah, oh, let me look at this. Ah, oh, let me look at that. Oh, all right, let me keep And looking. before you know it, you're buying a 50-year-old <laughs> 22 rifle, right? No, I bought that, that from Frank's shop. <laughs> so anyway, uh, before we get into this, uh, what's new with you? Uh, not much as new. I'm trying to think if there's anything new in the firearms world for me. Um, my, uh, my kids asked to go shooting the other day. So that was kind of fun. That's cool. Got me a little excited. Very cool. So I took them out and, uh, we just, we did a little BB guns cause, uh, it was not really conducive to going all the way down to the range, but gotcha. But I was happy they were, uh, they were doing it out. Oh, and, uh, I think I told you, uh, they were, they wanted to make a, uh, a to-go bag. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we started. Your daughter. My, my daughter asked a question, but my son got into it as well. That's cool. So we uh, we started building those and uh, got them a little set set up. And I know you do uh, you do t- like a little tent in the summertime when the weather's night outside, outside with, your, yeah. with your son. So I think I'm going to yeah. maybe do that this year. That's nice. cool. You know what I almost did this year? I, I talked about it and he got excited, but then I was like, it's, it's a bit of an investment. I wanted to do winter camping. Yeah. You, well, we, we brought that up. Those yeah. hot teepees or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And I, I kind of want to do it. You know, I think it would be cool to set it up in the winter. Yeah. And yeah. this would have been a good winter. It was actually mild. Yeah. It would have been a great one. You know, and they weren't, if I remember, they were a couple hundred bucks for like an entry level one, right? Yeah. I mean, they, they go from like cheap to like stupid expensive like quick, anything. you know? Yeah. 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 Exactly. Just like anything, right? <laughs> Start out with a, uh, a, a cheap uh, $300 gun. And before you know, you're buying a nighthawk <laughs> damn straight <laughs> <laughs> um you know you were talking about the go, the to-go bag uh one thing that was interesting for me um my wife actually her job paid for them to do a stop the bleed course oh that was nice and so she got like a free stop the bleed course and stuff and wanted them to be more prepared which i thought was kind of cool yeah and she said she came home and she said yeah I, I don't feel uh i don't i don't feel good with that whole tourniquet thing like we didn't get a lot of time when i was like i have practice ones <laughs> we can practice <laughs> well, just don't do it on a lolly column like <laughs> yeah 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 exactly exactly so uh really quick before we get into things tonight a couple things uh, i want to talk about our friends over at target sports usa so their uh, everyday ammo prices are already an outstanding deal but if you want to save some money check out their ammo plus membership which gets you eight percent off free shipping on ammo order priority and in-stock product alerts, which by the way, I want to talk about that. Do you know what the in-product alerts is? I didn't. I knew kind of what it is, but if you're a part of that, that membership and when something comes in stock, you get like three hours notified before anyone else, which oh, is that's really cool. That's cool. So like yeah. if you're looking for a caliber and it was out of stock, you're going to know before anybody else, which I think is actually really cool. I can, uh, I guess I have to put myself on the list. I'm still waiting for shotgun primers. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know. I mean, poor good guy. ones. You can get cheap ones. But. Yeah. And if anybody out there is planning on attending the NRA convention this weekend, um, it would be April 14th to 16th. Stop by booth uh, 4203. I said it better this time, Keith. Yeah. And say hello to our fantastic Target Sports staff. 
and uh, tell them the gun experiment sent you and they'll even hook you up with some cool swag. Make sure you visit them at targetsportsusa.com. And for everyone out there that's out looking to support our show, a couple of things, Keith and I always talk about it. We have got to take control of social media in our own way when it comes to this gun community of ours because we know they're trying to shut us down. So one, uh, go on to thegunexperiment.com and join our mailing list. And then two, uh, reach out to me on Instagram and get the code or go to the show notes and get the code and be part of our growing community on Discord. Those are two ways that we can control the conversation without being controlled by the social media overlords. And I think that is super, super important. So make sure you guys do that. One last thing before we get into this interview, tonight's interview is brought to us by Flatline Fiber Co. Chad and the rest of the crew over at Flatline are an outstanding group of Americans, and they're proud gun owners just like you and I. I personally love their padded rifle sling. I got a couple of those, but they have so many great products. I guarantee you're going to find something that makes your next range day better than your last. Everything is made by hand in the USA, includes free shipping, and has a lifetime warranty. Be sure to use discount code GUNEXPERIMENT10 at checkout to get 10% off. And as always, thank you for supporting the companies that support our show. So without further ado, we're going to get into tonight's interview. I'm very excited for this. Today's guest served our great country and his community as a United States Marine and a police officer. In 2015, he started a new company that would go on to capture the attention of gun owners everywhere. Blending form and function, this newfound company began creating firearms with eye-catching designs paralleled only by their functionality. It is our pleasure to welcome Michael Parks, the director of Agency Arms, to the show. Michael, how are we doing? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, no. Thank you for being on. Uh, big fan of your stuff. Uh, big fan of the products that you guys put out. And it's uh, really an, an honest pleasure to have you on here. Oh, thank you. And uh, those are some uh, some kind words. Uh, it's funny, you know, to hear people talk about my product still because I feel like just a, a grubby street cop doing something kind of cool on the side. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, well, a couple of things here. So first off, I want to thank you for your service to uh, our great country. I genuinely appreciate that. And uh, yeah, of course. And uh, I do want to just clarify, is your official title director? Because I looked all over and that's what I kind of kept finding, but I want to make sure that we're accurate. Uh, so actually, I don't have a title. Um, so I do have a business partner named Randy, a nice wander, and he and I are 50-50 owners and he handles the manufacturing side. I kind of handle the sales admin marketing side of the company. So technically, we don't actually have titles. We just blend in and very few people in our company actually hold titles. Everyone's just a big happy family and part of the team. It's, I would love to have you guys out one day to see the culture. It's, it's pretty oh. awesome. Oh, we, we would love to take you up yeah, on that, Yeah, for sure. Um, where did that idea title start? Because uh, it's not, you know, it's not certainly the first time I've ever heard something like that, but it's not every day you hear a company actually taking on that, that uh, idea. Is it just, have you never really thought to give yourself a title or is it just like you're too focused on the product? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really this, everyone wears so many hats. And um, we have this just like family-like atmosphere, which has been incredible. Uh, we're a lot smaller than a lot of people think. So at our peak, before we announced to our employees that we for sure were going to leave California, we had 32 employees. And out of those 32, this is about two years ago now, um, over 18 of them, I think it was like 20, was the, I think the count, had been with us over five years at that point. Okay. And we're only eight years old now. Um, so we just had this like really, really tight-knit group so we just didn't really have titles because it just never really even occurred to us to do we were just so busy doing what we did that it just never really came up and now that we're starting to get a little bit 
we're trying to get organized in a, in a more official capacity. That is something <laughs> that came up. And uh, maybe everyone else needs one, but I never really felt the need for one. That's really cool. Yeah, that, that's that's really cool. So actually, uh, it's funny because you're, uh, we'll talk about this later in the show, but you're out in Idaho now. And I have a couple of good friends that live in Idaho and I've never actually gotten to visit them. So I was like, wow, I could kill two birds with one stone. Go <laughs> check out manufacturing. And, so that's cool. Yeah. So while you were in the Marine Corps, you deployed to Iraq, but shortly after your first deployment, you began taking some weapons classes and became your unit's armorer, which uh, is really cool. You know, I think that's, a, that's an awesome position in the military. Would you say that this was the sort of prologue to the agency arms story, or were you, were you always just into firearms and modifying them and tinkering? How did this whole thing kind of start for you? Yeah, I was always a nerd for gear. So when I was little, uh, my dad actually had uh, pissed off some bad people south of the border, and he was a cop. Um, so we had to move a lot. And ever since I was little, my dad started teaching me, all right, well, we need to teach you how to protect yourself. And so I had a gun in my room as of eight years old, um, because things are just a little tumultuous and getting home from school was a little dangerous. So we had to take extra cautions and stuff. And I went to five different elementary schools, then two junior highs. Then luckily I got to go to one high school, but, um, so I just always kind of had a, um, an interest in it. And then also my dad is like my lifelong mentor. And so having a cop for a dad, I have like, you know, a box of goodies with his Batman utility belt and his <laughs> hand-me-downs and running around like a nerd in the backyard. Cause I don't know what it was, but as far back as I can remember, it was either slaying mythological beasts on some kind of commercial, but I wanted to be a Marine and I wanted to be a cop and I didn't know exactly which road I was going to follow, but I just was totally obsessed with all the gear and guns and it just fascinated me and um, it just kind of snowballed down into, you know, 9-11 happened and I decided, oh, well, I guess I'm going to join the military. Um, and that's what I'm going to do instead of being a cop first. I'm just going to do that. And then um, just got to play some bigger toys, which was great. <laughs> and then got out, became a cop, and I was just a nerd for all this stuff. So I'd constantly be tinkering and you know, changing this or buying this new thing. And so then the guys were at work were saying, you know, you kind of like the gear queer, man. Why don't you like tell people what's, what's kind of cool. And I'm like, how would I do that? And they said, why don't you do a YouTube channel? And I said, huh? Yeah. Okay. I could do that. And uh, all the videos are gone by the way. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I deleted those because uh, some of them were more embarrassing than others, but um, that's actually how I got my start in the industry was doing YouTube reviews and made a bunch of contacts and then that actually ended up floundering. So I focused back on police work. And then my business partner and I had made friends through the, that uh, YouTube stuff. And we started Agency Arms Up in 2014 permit wise and uh, kicked it off in 2015. That's really cool. You know, it's funny. I'm listening to you talk about sort of your childhood and growing up. And I, I'm watching my my son and daughter, but my boy in particular is six. And uh, back from my short stint in law enforcement, I have a, a pair of cuffs from back then. And I have a couple other little things. And of course, I'm always gathering gear for the show and, and just kind of the uh, LARPing that we like to do. And uh, but, but my son sees stuff. He like he saw my cuffs. and He's like, you know, dad, can I have those? And I'm like, eh. I'm like, no, only if you promise not to use them on your system. <laughs> <laughs> but I did go and run out and buy him like a toy set, and he like loved that. And so it's just hearing you say that is kind of endearing to me because I, I see my son kind of going through that same phase as a six year old. So very very cool. Yeah, definitely. Your your military time included uh, positions with in air support. Um, Mike and I were kind of talking about. I have an idea of what that is, but maybe a, maybe it'd be better for you to kind of let us know. You know, what is air support in in the military when you did that? 
Well, so the Marine Corps is a little weird. Um, so we have like forward air controllers, like Anglico guys that actually call in fire, call in air, stuff like that. Then we have these middle guys, which is what I did. Uh, it's a lot less sexy. But um, so my first deployment, I actually got to do the field side, and that was cool. So I was on an air sport liaison team where we were basically the middlemen. We were out the grunts. We basically handled all the requests back to what's called the direct air sport center, the DASC. And we just called in all the nine lines and calls for fire, call, or not calls for fire, excuse me, um, calls for fire support, meaning beans, band-aids, bullets. We call them assault support That's requests. Right, yeah. yeah. And then um, the medevacs and the JTARs, which is a joint tactical air request, you know, calling down bombs or fixed, uh, fixed or rotary aircraft, basically. And then my second deployment was miserable. I was on the base the whole time. <laughs> and uh, I was the crew chief of the DASC which is like the 911 service of the Marine Corps, where <laughs> we hear all of the requests for the horrible things that are going down and we need support. And we just, okay, cool. Let's process this in and hear the horrible things going down and give them some aircraft. And we do that with no radar. Wow. So we literally control all the aircraft between the ATCs, you know, not in the actual air control area of the ATC, but we control all the aircraft in the theater with no radar. Wow, that's crazy. Did you, um, th that's pretty much what I was kind of describing to Mike. I was like, it's pretty much anything you could think of that would need to come to you through air support. That's what this mm -hmm. one would be. Um, what What were some of your favorite airframes that you worked with? Oh, uh, dude, well, one I didn't get to work with, I was so butthurt, is literally they landed in, started getting turned in right as I was turning over from my first deployment, A-10. Oh, God, that would have been so cool. Yeah, to hear that, it's the warthog. Yeah, I, I got to see it. I, I'm you not know a it. You know it. It's the one that has the very distinct Gatling gun sound that you okay. always hear. Yeah, Keith's a big uh, uh, aeronautics guy. I'm I'm not so much, but of course, I'm a guy, so I think they're still cool. But uh, I love when the air show comes to town. But uh, I'm having him pull it up on the big screen here. Oh, okay. Yeah, for You've sure. definitely seen those. Oh, before. yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And so they got in right as I was turning over, so I never got to talk to one. I was so upset. But um, pretty much everything I dealt with was F-18s. Okay. Uh, mixed section skins. Yeah, they're wild. F-18. I mean, Blue Angels are, I think the Blue Angels are way better than the Thunderbirds. <laughs> <laughs> I will agree with you there. Um, <laughs> the uh, the airframes are a little newer, but, you know, those those Viper drivers are pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, they used to piss off our guys because whenever the special operations cats would come in, they'd bring Air Force birds in, and they would never talk to us. So they'd be just flying into our airspace, <laughs> airplanes around there, giving all kinds of colorful language about the uh, near miss they had with a, a damn F-16 Wildcat flying through there, thinking it's badass. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it was it was a it was definitely an interesting experience. Um, you know, I wasn't a, I never proclaimed to be like a door kicker, badass kind of guy. I was a, a support guy. Um, you know, I definitely got my field time in on my first deployment, but second deployment was the, uh, oh God, horrible sitting on the base. Hated it. Um, <laughs> and then my last year I would have done a third deployment, but I don't know how I got so lucky. I went through a bunch of board selections and I actually worked for General Mattis. Yeah, I saw that. That had to be really cool, huh? That was pretty intricately uh, amazing. Um, some of the training you got to be able to do that was cool, right? Like some of the uh, convoy training and... So is he everything? Is it is he exactly like you imagined him to be? <laughs> Dude, okay. So it's funny. Um, I was married back then. Got divorced right after I became a cop. But at the time, uh, my ex-wife, wife at the time, was a school teacher. My dad was a sergeant at the PD. I have a very much younger uh, brother and sister. My brother was born when I was sixteen. My sister was born when I was eighteen. 
And so my first day, I'm setting up my office, haven't met the general yet. Um, and I'm just kind of setting up my desk, doing my thing. And all of a sudden, I get that like disturbance in the force feeling behind me. <laughs> and I turn around, and it is three-star General Mattis. And I just snapped to attention. And he's like, oh, wow, stop, Sergeant Park, stop. And we have name tapes on, so I figured he just read my name tape. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh, uh, thank you. Know, it's nice to meet you, sir. It's my first day. He's like, oh, well, where? You know, how's the wife, Brittany? She teaches third grade, right? I'm like, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he did his intel. <laughs> Oh yeah, he and he just knew everything. Wanted me to know that he knew everything. I was like, oh, okay, all right. Um, but the crazy thing was, when I first met him, and then almost all interactions when he was just walking around the office, he kind of had that like warm grandpa presence, mm-hmm. where he just kind of hunch over a little bit, kind of just kind of cruise around. There are times, of course, when he's locked on and you know walking with a with a purpose, but for the most part, um, he was very very warm. Um, but I, re- I remember one time, so he had a personal driver, personal security guard that always went with him everywhere. And so he had a security detail stateside, then he had his, wherever he went, they would just, you know, pick him up at that place. Um, so if he was going to theater, they'd have a team there. Um, and so he comes back from a, a trip. I drive up in the, the, the SUVs and he hops into the vehicle and he'd always sit in the center. He, he sit in the center of the back seat and stare at you in the room. And, like <laughs> and so he, um, uh, and I don't mean to throw a, a curse word out real quick, but no, you're uh, good. I don't know you're fine. okay. So I say, Hey, you know, welcome back, sir. You know, how are our boys doing over there? He's like, and I swear to God, it was funny. He went from that kind of jovial smirk kind of grandpa looking, um, face to dude. I swear to goodness. It was something out of a movie. It's just like his face just, totally kind of contorted and changed went to this like grizzly looking face and he said sergeant parks we're going to kill every one of those fucking cocksuckers <laughs> and i went yeah very well sir are you ready to head home he's like yeah take me home i'm like okay uh and i'm like i just met the mad dog for the first time <laughs> he just showed up right That's yeah crazy. and i was like he had just like a light switch turn it on and it was one of the most um, his command presence, it was crazy because he had that warmth, but when he turned it on, he was mad dog Mattis yeah, and yeah. he just led and people and all of us just had no choice, but the compulsion to follow. I mean, he was just a, gen, a genuinely natural leader. That's an That's amazing cool. story. Yeah. So I do want to bring this back to guns a little bit. And of course your company. Mm-hmm. So the modern polymer guns, we all know, and you know, love and near and dear to our hearts. They (laughs) have a reputation for being inexpensive and reliable. Mm -hmm. What was the motivation and the vision behind modifying these simple yet effective firearms? And I guess what I'm really asking is like, how did the agency arms vision come to fruition? So there were companies out there doing it, like all credit where credit's due. You know, Zev was kind of the pioneer. ATEI was out there. Um, and I was an enthusiast, you know, when I was doing the consulting stuff, I wanted custom guns. I was going to training all the time from anybody and everybody I could seek training from, from the local guys to, you know, scratching every penny I could get on overtime to afford like Costa classes, Aaron Cowan classes, um, you know, just showing up as a student to learn. And through all that, I started figuring out that you can start out performing an OEM pistol, um, you know, as your skill level 
proceeds to you know mature you know you can definitely like you have, if you're like a professional race car driver right and people say oh that's to be smart it's, it's kind of not when you get to a proficiency level with whatever your profession is you then need a more high performance version to be able to get your skills to the further level and Agreed. so i started noticing that hey It'd be great if this had more serrations. Oh, hey, optics. Optics are becoming a thing. I'd really like to be able to run an optic, so optic cuts. You know, when I start getting, you know, sweaty or I get, like, mud on my hands, texture, that's kind of a problem with this OEM Gen 3 Glock. Um, and so I started seeking, you know, other places to get that stuff done. And, uh, and that's really what kind of led to me doing, you know, looking into that beforehand, meeting Randy, my business partner, and he used to be a job shop. And so he was making parts for helicopters, movie cars, uh, and then custom gun parts. And so we became friends. And in 2014, he just, you know, he's hitting me up. He's like, hey, you know, we could probably do this. And I said, yeah, I think we can. And so we started chatting about it, came up with some slide designs, came up with a trigger. Um, I knew a stippler. I knew a gunsmith. He already had one employee running his two CNC machines. And we thought, hey, this could be, you know, something kind of cool on the side. Maybe, you know, put an extra grand in my pocket, cover my car payment, maybe, you know, a little more. <laughs> and then it just it snowballed. And I was still a full-time cop when we started the company. So, like, you know, we started three employees January 2015, um, ended with 14 at the end of the year. And I was working Friday, Saturday, Sunday, pushing a black and white on day shift. And then thir- uh, Monday through Thursday, I was at the shop. And, hell, half the time on Fridays, I had my phone tucked into my, my visor driving my black and white and doing business work calls <laughs> while I'm driving calls. Or uh, one time I was talking to the the buyer at Rainier, and he's like, hey, um, I'm sorry to be rude, but can you turn the TV down? I'm like, oh, that's not the TV. I'm actually in a vehicle pursuit. and uh, that's the sign. <laughs> I'm gaining on the guy if you care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was one of those conga lines on the freeway for 40 minutes where you're just driving at 80 miles an hour for like 45 minutes. And so I'm like, I got time. If you got time, he's like, oh, yeah, sure. No problem. <laughs> he, he, you probably, that's like the best sales person advice ever. You probably hooked that guy because he's like, I got to keep talking to this guy. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was, I, I was so worried. He'd be like, this is so unprofessional. But I'm like, ah, we can talk Monday if you prefer. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that I'm always curious about, and I, I mean, I, I, I'm sure the answer is uh, monetary, but why do you choose the firearm model, models that you do to, to modify on? You know, um, I mean, like obviously Brunelli's got a, a great name and and that what you do looks absolutely awesome on top of some functional upgrades. But why do you pick that that model, you know? So the Glock was the natural choice because it was the the king at first. Um, then we went into MMPs because that was kind of like the distant second runner up, if you will. Sure. Um and then uh Sig came out of nowhere and just smacked everybody around and then is toe-to-toe with Glock now. So that was natural evolution. And then most of our dealers were actually hitting us up about shotguns and they were asking for Benelli's. So it was really dealer driven is why we started getting into the shotguns is they were asking and asking. And we put it off at first, mostly because we didn't want to just throw our name on something. So like what we do for Glock, everything has a purpose. What we do for, you know, everything we do has a purpose. And for the shotgun, we're thinking, okay, we don't know enough. So we need to educate ourselves because I'm not a competitor. Randy is not a competitor. So we didn't really know what kind of mods would be the greatest. And 
and what to do to make it worthwhile. And we just don't want to slap our name on something and call it a day and try to sell that. So we did a lot of research, um, consulted with our sponsored instructors. Those guys are very awesome. Like Steve Fisher is super into shotguns and yeah, yeah. was really yeah. pivotal in, in what we did to it. And so when we built the shotgun out, everything had a purpose. Where we put the M-lock, how we angled the M-lock of the rail for shot savers to dash to uh, throw a shotgun shell right into an open chamber. Even down to the shape, the hook that we put on our bolt release so that when you sweep a shell in, you can just sweep your hand forward and catch the release to drop it. Um, the ergonomics of everything you know, Steve has monster hands, so it doesn't matter. It could be like, <laughs> yeah. you know, a pinhead and ah, Steve Fisher hits it and, you know, it's going to go through. But for, you know, normal hand people, um, everything had to have a, a really good flow and purpose. And that's one thing that a good friend of mine, Travis Haley, uh, mentor, the guy is incredible. It, you know, I talked to him a lot about things too. And everything has to have a purpose and where you put your hands, why you put your hands there, why they would travel this way. And so that's that. why we took so long to get to Benelli is we wanted to make sure everything was purpose-built, not just get a bunch of commercially available parts and slap it on there. Yeah. And to be honest with you, we've had a lot of requests for 870s, and I've totally pushed it off for years because I just don't – until we can come up with something that really makes it worthwhile – I just don't see any purpose in doing them because, yeah, aesthetics, we can make it look great. But genuinely, it's a pump gun. So other than a trigger job and then smoothing out the action a little bit just to make it glide better, you can do pretty much all that on your own. And you can buy aftermarket parts to do everything you'd want to do. So to make it agency, to make it really meaningful, purposeful, I haven't found that solution yet. So we haven't done them. So uh, a couple things here. So first off, what about the Beretta 1301? Any consideration to that? Or it's kind of been done already by other places? So that's one we've been working on for the last couple of years. Very so that nice. is in the pipe. Okay. Um, again, it's got to make sense. And we don't want to just do it to do it. So, you know, a lot of people say, why does it take so long for this? And it's like, well... We're not as slow as, you know, the big mega companies, but we right. definitely put a lot of heart and thought into it. Yeah. So, I mean, your lead, yeah, your lead times aren't terrible. Yeah. Well, it's, that sounds I mean, more like the R&D is what he's kind of talking about. But so a few things here. Uh, I, I don't have a defensive shotgun per se. It's something that Keith and I have both talked about kind of getting into with some of our training companies we work with. But um, too many other guns. In yeah, it's, it's tough. It's like, where do you put your money, right? <laughs> but uh, we so we've had Steve Fisher in studio. He's been on the show a couple of times. Uh, we had Joe Dawson on the show, of course. And so these guys have, have you know, uh, spoken your praises, uh, you know, of course. But uh, what I find interesting is you had mentioned the Glock. And I wouldn't say I'm a Glock guy. In fact, I probably was the anti-Glock guy, although I just got a sort of a derivative of a Glock. And what I've always had a problem with with Glock, obviously they're reliable, obviously they have the reputation that they do, but I feel like they've just kind of like rested on their laurels a little bit. And like you were saying, like they're kind of, they could be a little slippery, right? They didn't have front sl slide serrations for a very long time. And it's like, they could have look at all these other companies that are putting real aggressive slide serrations and they're not. And it almost kind of like opened the door for a company like you to thrive. So it's very interesting. But the one question I do have about Glock is I notice a lot of companies lately that are like Glock derivatives are starting to go away from the real extreme grip angle. Have you ever considered coming up with your own grip and changing that angle yourself? Uh, that has been something that we've discussed quite a bit. <clears throat> and um, 
<laughs> so we have a, a small side story. Um, when I used to do lives consistently, I've been a little bad about it since we moved, but when I used to do our Instagram lives, like every Friday, the sales guys put on a little board up on the wall about how far into the live I'd give away something I wasn't supposed to talk about yet that hasn't come out yet. And then I'd have to pay them a hundred bucks for their beer fund. And, um, you, you're kind of paying me a corner where I might have to throw a hundred dollars in this freaking beer fund. Let's um, do it. What kind of beer they like? <laughs> <laughs> um, so there, there may or may not be internal talkings and workings about of things of that nature. So. Man, I feel like I, I got like a crystal ball. I feel, I'm, I'm very impressed with myself right now. So, continue along the line of this uh, this design stuff. Uh, you have quite a few different actual slides in terms of the design and the CNC machining. Uh, what Take me through, what is the creative process that you guys go through and how do you take it from concept to reality? Because I mean, some of them, they go from sort of a little more mild to some pretty wild stuff. And how does that, how does that even start for you guys? Um, so it's funny. It's a lot of people kind of overthink it. Um, if you look at a slide, the 320 is way more fickle, by the way. Um, the center of balance has to be in a very particular place or you're going to have some issues. Um, so limp wristing is really exaggerated as a problem with the 320 if you don't balance the slide properly. Um, so the first thing we do is we, you know, talk about, okay, we can take off X amount of weight, um, to achieve, many different a myriad of results so if we want a heavier slide it's going to track slower but you'll have a different recoil impulse but it's slower if you're looking for super flat super fast but you'll have a sharper impulse we can take off the more aggressive weight but that gives you a completely different feel as a shooter so like our urban cut or our peacekeeper cut which take off the absolute most amount of weight they both have three windows um, the sidewalls are uh, cut in pretty deep, especially on the Peacekeeper. It's actually slightly lighter than our Urban, and they track really, really flat and really, really fast, but they have a sharper impulse because it's so light. And, now, I don't want to call it snappy because that's not really what it feels like. It's just sharp. But to an experienced shooter that really wants to keep it flat and go from target to target, like um, like a three-gun guy, for instance, or like a steel match kind of guy, um, or just a guy that's really experienced and wants to shoot that way on a uh, tactical side. It, you know, the, the holes in the slide don't make the, the slide compromised. I mean, look at the uh, the 92F, right? The whole barrel's exposed and the gun runs in the desert. It's just you got to keep care of your guns. Right. But, you know, that's the main the main focal point is what we're going to do for that purpose of slide. So when we first came out, we had three. We had a real um, basic one where it's just mostly serrations with our aesthetics, and it kept the slide weight relatively closer to factory. Um, and then we had our hybrid, which took a little bit more weight off the front. So the first one was the field. Second was the hybrid and that only had a window on top. And what we found is that was a better balance point for optics, for optimizing it for optics on the 17. Then we had our urban, which, and all of them run fine with optics. It just, we found that the best balance when you actually weigh it out, where we take material out of the front, where we take material out of the rear, when you throw it on with an RMR, which was like the king at the time, especially that's where it kind of ran the best. That's what we kind of dialed it around. So whenever we do a slide, whether it's a 320 platform and MMP, 509, et cetera, et cetera, we always want to find where the balance point is. And some manufacturers will actually help you and talk to you about those things. Glock won't tell you anything. They think we're just an abomination company that shouldn't exist. And they're <laughs> very unpleasant to be around. But yeah, I could see that. Yeah, we had a we so funny story. 
our 2016, our second shot show, we had, you know, been a year old and we were so excited because Glock said they wanted a meeting. We're like, oh, dude, we have made it. Oh, my God. <laughs> incredible. Right. We walk in there, teeth from ear to ear. And I don't even know why they asked us to sit down because it was so short. But there's just, you know, four attorneys on the other side. Oh, no boy. employees block, just all attorneys. And my smile immediately diminished. And I'm like, uh, uh-oh. And they said, hi, um, you do not provide pistols for these bills, do you? And we're like, no, um, you know, not really because most of the bankroll problem. But, um, you know, we offer it. And they're like, no, 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 no. Um, let's word this differently. You do not. <laughs> and we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're not, we, we, we won't do that. And they're like, okay, good. Uh, thank you very much for coming in. We're like, Okay. Shit. All right. That was quick. Um, yeah. Thanks for your time. Um, now, has well, that has have, that changed? Because I know, like right now, you can go to certain places and buy like a complete version of your guns. Like you can go to Omaha Outdoors, and so has that changed since then? Are you now providing full on start to finish? So, no. So the dealers. <laughs> this is the dumbest thing. I, and if Glock's listening, you know, please don't sue me. But they. Hey, Glock didn't have a problem if a dealer sends a gun in yeah, or if an exactly. customer sends a gun in, but I can't provide the gun. Okay. Okay. And then I, every I, other year, they have their legal team, which is outside counsel, reach out to us and they say, oh, the wording on your website. Okay. Yeah. You need to change that because we don't like it. It's like, oh well, this week was last time. Yeah. No. Um, I don't know where you got that from. Well, we got the emails. Yeah. Sh- sh- yeah. Change it to this. Uh, okay. And then two years later, oh, hey, guys, we're going to need you to change the wording on your website. Uh, okay. Shirt walk, and so every every two years, almost on the money, every summer, uh, every other summer, we get you know correspondence where we have to change our verbiage. Now we have to put stickers on the Glock box saying this is not a Glock product, you know, very uh, endorsed product. Yeah, they're just it's this very interesting company. Whereas Sig has embraced it and flourished. Um, you know, it's it's a very interesting dynamic to work what, around. What's Glock. so funny is this is that to to make what you make, you have to someone has to buy a Glock from them. So mm-hmm. what's the difference if Omaha Omaha Outdoors buys one, sends it to you, and you do the work, and then they or you buy it, do the work, and sell it to Omaha? Like it's a Glock. It's a Glock. They're buying. <laughs> someone's buying it. I mean, all right. I I I'm so blown away by how asinine that is, and now I don't like Glock even more. Um, <laughs> So while we're on this conversation, uh, mm-hmm. obviously purchasing a completely built firearm. Now I know it's not from you, but someone kind of did the pre-work from you. If Glock's listening, mm-hmm. um, it, 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 it does come with a premium price tag. Uh, we all know yes. that. So the aesthetics alone could justify that price if you're into that sort of thing. And I certainly am, Keith. I know you love a nice looking gun. Uh, but your website state your website states that you're more interested in the functionality than the actual visual appeal. Although I think the visual appeal is outstanding. So what functionality is upgraded in the complete package and what real world input went into the designs of that firearm? Okay, so our stuff does have a price tag. However, one thing to point out, especially when we came to market, we were actually on the cheaper side. So a competitor out there uh, named Salient actually was more expensive than us, and you could only buy a complete pistol. Like it was, you get a tier one, a tier two, a tier three, period. No ifs, ands, or buts. Like there's no just this, just that, or change this, change that. It was the way it was. Zev gave you a little bit of flexibility, but... We were actually relatively on par with their custom shop when it came to pricing. What we did is we said, hey, optic cuts are included. 
And we're not going to upcharge for that. That was savings over our competitors. And then another thing that we did that was totally different is we said, hey, we understand that people have to, you know, make a living and not everyone can afford a custom firearm, especially in one go. So we did a 50-50 plan. You can pay half up front, half when it's done. And also, let's just say you do stippling or you have a great friend or you already have a relationship with like Ben at Boresight, like the legend Ben, the the the, the, the plastic surgeon, if you will, of, of polymer. Um and you want to get all your stuff done by Ben. Well, that's cool. You can piece together everything with us where you we sold slide work alone, uh, fitted trigger system alone, framework alone. You can get it all. You can get two out of three. You can even piece it together as you can afford it over time. Um, so we were more flexible um, than our competitors. And we were, generally speaking, on par or more affordable than our competitors at the time. Um, you know, there are a lot of race to the bottom type companies that came out since then. And um, to remain competitive, but also give value added, we did introduce like our syndicate series. So slide work on your Glock that you send in your slide, yeah, it's 800 bucks for an agency slide. Um, however, you can buy our syndicate slides, which are made from 17.4 uh, stainless, and those slides are 550 bucks. Then you can just buy those right off of you know one of our dealers' websites. So we do have affordable options as well. Um, you know, and it does have our A on it. It's in the word syndicate. We put our A in there, but it is, um, you know, a second line of guns, but, um, that, you know, to answer your question about like the price tag and stuff, so where the, all of the value comes in is all the research. Um, we have mechanical engineers on staff. Uh, again, we're not the biggest company, but we do have two mechanical engineers on staff. Everything's done the right way. We do all the testing. We do destructive testing, all of that good stuff. We have certified, collegially educated, one apprentice educated uh, gunsmiths on staff, and we go through the gamut of everything. So, first off, I, I I already said it. I think that the guns are beautiful, and I do see. I know that when something like that comes out, there's a lot more that goes into it than just like, wait a minute, this is just a Glock with some serrations on it. Like you have, <laughs> you, you, you have to have machines, you have to have employees, you have to have, you know, there's a lot that engineers, there's a lot that goes into this. But I kind of asked that question purposely because I know there's someone out there going like, ah, you know, it's just an overpriced Glock with serrations. But I, I, I like the way that, you know, your answer was very well put in the fact that I like that you offer the option of doing it in multiple different ways, different options. We're going to talk about that later on in the show. But you hit the nail on the head. There is a lot that goes into these builds other than just making the gun. There's a lot of research. There's a lot of design work. And, and that's, you know, ultimately when you're getting something custom, that's what you're paying for is that all that stuff that goes into the uh, work before the work is done. So I know Keith had a question. Yeah. My, my question was, uh, as, as a, as a Nighthawk fan, I, I have to ask, um, talk to me about the collaboration with them and rail scales and hillbilly two, two, three, like on that agent was it just the agent two. did all three of you collaborate on the agent? Well, it was agent one first. Right. And then, then they came out with the agent two. but how did that collaboration come to be? And, and what was that like? One man, was responsible for that. He's a big man. His name is Steve <laughs> Fisher. So, um, you know, we are not steel gun people. Um, you know, we try our best to stay in our lane. Um, you know, as we expanded, we've definitely brought in more talent and stuff. But um, speaking, sorry, before I get off the topic, but um, Steve, we were talking about things. He's like, no, you guys really need 1911. I'm like, bro, <laughs> you're talking about, you He know, was very convincing. <laughs> He, he was. And I'm like, dude, 
even if we wanted to, that's going to be a few years before we can even have the staffing. You're like, no, 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 no. You need to team up. And I'm like, what's funny is your impersonation of him is spot on. I was going to yeah. say, did he just grunt at you? Because he, we we had him in studio, and literally, this is a, a legitimate, like, real story. He wouldn't leave. Like, I was like, all right, that's the end of the interview. And he's like, yeah, I'm not leaving. And I was like, no, like, I have work in the morning. And he's like, I'm not leaving. I didn't come here to just talk for an hour and leave. Like, I'm staying. And I was like, he's too big for me to kick out. <laughs> so I could see how his persuasion might have worked yeah. on you. What I what I, what I I find interesting is like, hearing this story and everything. Uh, you know, Nighthawk is, I mean, they're a legendary company at this. You know, yeah. we, we all know the, the story. And like I said, they were on the show. And But- in the polymer world, I mean, you guys are, you're there. And so for you guys to partner up and, and to create that kind of a product and for them to let you guys sort of go off the reservation a bit and get away from that traditional 1911, I mean, that's that's awesome, right? I mean, that's like, that's that's really, really pushing the envelope uh, in terms of design. And I, I congratulate and commend both companies for, for coming up with that and allowing that to happen. So kudos to you guys, really, really nice work. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's one thing is I always wanted to do collaborations. I've always wanted to work well with others. Um, so one thing we did in 2015, I don't know if you ever heard about them. There's only 45 of them in existence. Um, but we have a series called The Fatal 15. Have you heard of those? No. No. So there's a guy named Damon. Um, his company is SSVI. He's a uh, one-man shop, doesn't have his house. He does stippling, but he also has a trigger. And he also does slide work. And I believe Doug uh, Preston at DP Custom does his slide work, I believe. Um, I could be wrong on that because it may have changed. But Doug's also a phenomenal, awesome, amazing human being who does great work. Um, and so he's technically a complete direct competitor. And so in 2015, to kind of break the mold and show the industry that, hey, just because you're – Zev and I'm agency doesn't mean we can't be friends. And it doesn't mean that we have to have animosity. Um, there's no reason why we shouldn't even be able to be friendly and even have some kind of working together in any way, shape, and form. Like, I think it's great for the industry to show that, hey, it's okay to be in the same space. In fact, I encourage it because that's what drives innovation. Sure. So we talked to Damon and I threw a crazy one at him. I'm like, hey, what would you think about doing collaboration? He's like, he was a little leery at first, like, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, what if you do your style of framework with our accelerators, but you put our logo in your work, and we're going to put your logo in our slide work, and we'll label them off, 1 through 15. There's only 15 of them, and we end up doing three runs, so there's three distinctly different versions of the Fatal 15, 1 through 15, 16 through 30, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and those guns sold stupid well. Um, you know, we sold the guns for three grand a piece on the first run. They sold out crazy. And just recently, about a year and a half ago, somebody sold number seven for over $10,000 on GunBroker. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. It was, I, it was incredible. Yeah. Well, I, first of all, I think it's, I, I want to kind of move us on to the next segment of the show. But before I do that, I just want to say, I, I agree with what you're saying in terms of, you know, we can be competitive and we can have people that are in our, in our niche that are kind of like our competitors, but <laughs> Ultimately, the goal is to grow the Second Amendment. Ultimately, the goal is to, you know, make beautiful guns. These are all things that we should want. 
And mm-hmm. you don't move the industry forward by constantly trying to step on each other's throats. So, man, I, I just think it's amazing that you have that attitude. It's very, uh, very humble of you. And, uh, and I really commend that. So uh, I do want to move us on, but I just wanted yeah. to kind of end by saying how, uh, how much I really genuinely admire that attitude. Um, where, where can people find you? It's kind of a silly question, but I'll let you answer it. <laughs> <laughs> um, agency arms, all one word on Instagram, agencyarms.com. Um, and we really just kind of focused on those two and we are building our newsletter. So since Instagram is pretty bad, our newsletter is one of the best ways to get up to date with everything agency. Very cool. So I do have a lot of that stuff in the show notes, including some other ones that it sounds like maybe aren't your main focus, but they are up there. Uh, and at this point, I want to invite you to, or challenge you, maybe I should say, to run and gun. So it's our 10 question rapid fire game. Are you uh, up for that challenge? I am up for it. Let's go. All right. Keith is going to put a timer up. Ready? It is timed, and your buddy Joe Dawson has done rather well on it. So there is a little bit of that going on right now. Well, he's a SEAL, so I don't know if I can compare. <laughs> Well, let's give it a go. How about that? Number one, what is your favorite gun in your personal collection? Ooh, um, my Ronin SIG 320. What gun would you buy if money was no object? Anything infinity. <laughs> if you could have a drink with one person living or dead, who would it be? Oh, good one. Uh, Abe Lincoln. Favorite caliber? What's that? Favorite caliber? Oh, nine millimeter. I enjoy nine. Favorite hobby, not gun related? Uh, uh, gaming. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Ooh, flying. All hell breaks loose. Is it better to be armed or trained? Trained. Is it better to be loved or feared? Loved. Rifle, pistol, or shotgun? Rifle. You're in the worst scenario imaginable. Who do you want to have your back other than your spouse or significant other? (laughs) Uh, Probably my dad. Let's mix it up. All right. How do you do against Joe? 51 seconds. Well, almost 51, 52, 51.95. Okay. So Joe, Joe had him by quite a bit. He was 39.6. Uh, I guess you're right about those seals, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And was, was your favorite hobby dating? A gaming. Okay. I'm a nerd. <laughs> I was like, did he say dating? Yeah. That's a great hobby. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I never thought of that. That, is, that is a great hobby. Yeah, for sure. Uh, no, I'm very, very taken uh, now. Uh, if you were to talk to me a few years ago, that may have been a contender. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All right. So on this episode of Let's Mix It Up, we are going to discuss the best way to build a custom pistol with Agency Arms step-by-step. And before we get into that, I want to talk about our uh, sponsor for this episode or for this segment, I should say. Let's Mix It Up is brought to you by Ridgeline Defense. Ridgeline is one of the nation's premier training facilities and offers programs based on proven tactics and real-world experience. Their highly trained staff specializes in pistol, carbine, precision rifle, breaching, sniper operations, and low visibility force protection. If you're looking to take your skills to the next level, you've found your new training partner. Check them out at RidgelineShooting.com. So you kind of already uh, gave me the, uh, <clears throat> the sort of introduction with this earlier, but the fact that you guys offer the ability to sort of piecemeal work right? So like you could get some stippling done and then say, Hey, you know what? Now I think I want some slide work done and now I want to have some trigger work done. So I'm fascinated by this because I've never actually done it, but I've often thought of kind of like building out uh, a Glock or a Smith. And I've many times looked at your site Mm -hmm. and I'm curious as to how you would recommend 
Because the, e- the easy answer is go somewhere and buy one that's just complete and done and just be be done with it, right? right? But if you want it to be your own. Yeah, maybe you want it to be your own. Maybe, maybe you can't afford it all at once and you're going to do some pieces at a time. So how would you sort of recommend this based on maybe price, based on uh, maybe some things are more practical than others? Kind of walk us through what you think is the best approach. So uh, let's just say that you're on a budget <clears throat> and you're going to piece it together. In my personal opinion, uh, yeah, the Glock trigger, everyone hates it. But genuinely speaking, it's not untenable. So my personal opinion, I think the frame needs to be done first. The grip is the foundation, um, and you can learn to, to work a bad trigger pretty well. Um, so I would say grip first, then do the trigger, and then do all the slide. Um, you know, and people say, well, optic, 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 and I totally agree. But if you're going to piece it together, that's really what I would do first. Um, and when it gets into, like, you know, yeah, going to a dealer is a great option, but you're confined to whatever they have, you know, procured from us. So, you know, if you want to genuinely have a piece that is very you with whatever you want on it, oh, you gotta, you gotta send the gun in. Yeah. Um, and you know, and then it comes to the myriad of options, and it's really, really daunting. Um, our it website really is, by the way. I, I looked and I tried to build you, one a few times, and I'm like, I'm like, man, this is. I, I was like, so do you guys offer sort of like a uh, concierge where like you can call and talk through some stuff? Yes. Um, so it's funny. So when we moved, sadly, we lost a lot of people. Um, we went from 32 employees, and I moved with 11. Oh wow! So we had to rebuild as of August when we moved, and so I'm up to uh, 23 total. Um, and so I went from a, a sales team of four down to literally one when I moved and, uh, the whole sales team is new now. Um, our old sales director is still working remote from California assisting us, but, uh, we have three guys that are, you know, brand new. Um, one of them is super familiar and he, he's the guy that's primarily trying to handle the phones. And then John, our new sales director, when he came in, he came from, um, to a armament. So he's very, he's been in the gun industry for 20 years. Um, and he was like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. No guns, no problem. No big deal. Yeah. I'll learn it all. Da, 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 da. And then he got here and he's like, oh my God. <laughs> and it was a fire hose to the face. He's like, hold on. Holy crap. How many options are there? And we're like, well, um, I mean, if you literally just listed out the options between frames, triggers, barrels, magwells, slide styles, AOS plates, optic options, size, guide rods, this, that, eh, we have like a thousand SKUs. <laughs> a little over and, and then you com- he, combination of those cues <laughs> yeah and then compensating single port dual port sage system you know so it's like holy crap where do you really begin and that's where a website will get you really far but with a full custom build um and you know not to even put us in the same conversation point as infinity for instance but you know they have so many options that their website doesn't even list anything in comparison to what they have right, you have right. to um, same thing with us. We, we always recommend, give us a call. We'll walk you through it. Unless you're like a super agency knowledgeable fan that has been, you know, following us for quite a while and really knows the no, it's always easiest to give us a call. We'll walk you through it. If you, you know, what's the different, we have multiple texture options and we can combine them. Uh, a lot of people don't know that you can actually mix two, uh, stipple styles on our frames. We call oh. it aggressive carry. So, you know, front strap, back strap and our accelerators and the underguard of the trigger guard, we can do like super aggressive and then keep it mild on the side so that when it's rubbing against your body, unless you're you know, like John Dufresne or Aaron Cowan that has like leather skin and <laughs> it doesn't tear you up, um, we can put the softer side towards your body and then the more aggressive 
where you're going to get most out of it in the front strap and back strap. So one of the things aesthetically that I'm really into these days, and uh, I've never, I've, I don't think I've seen it on an agency. Do you guys offer that sort of like either a uh, double border around or the, sometimes it's a deep border and not a double border. Do you offer that or is it more just, just stippling? So we don't offer that. And we do a lot of cuts on the frame. Uh, we do everything on a manual mill. Um, that's one thing that we haven't done, um, mostly because we kind of kept our aesthetic very, um, the bordering is you either love it or hate it. There's yeah. a lot of guys that really, really love it. There's a lot of guys that really hate it. Um, so to go down that path would have taken a lot of training, considerable amount of training to keep all five of our stipplers on par to where right now, when I send out a 40 gun batch to a dealer, for instance, we want to make sure that you can't tell which stippler stippled what gun, what gunsmith built what gun, because the triggers feel the same, the slides feel the same, the frames feel the same. It's got to be perfect. Um, and so that's why we never really focused on the bordering. We just said, hey, this is our style, this is our look, and let's just keep with this for a while. Not to say we wouldn't offer it in the future, though. Yeah, I, I respect that. I mean, it, and that's that's sort of, I agree, it's one of those things, either you like it or you don't. But, uh, you know, it, it's funny because, you mentioned the stippling. I never thought about this, but I've, it's amazing to me that a human being sits there and just like makes those little tiny dots like over. And I've never thought yeah. of that as the, the, the way, the amount of production you guys do. I mean, how do those guys not go crazy? Do you have them in a padded room somewhere and just <laughs> <laughs> sit Yeah. Down? So we, yeah. Did you ever watch Breaking Bad? Yeah. 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 You remember when he was, uh, had that track with a chain and he could only go back and forth so yeah. far. Yeah, that's pretty much what we do. The stipplers. And we see them. <laughs> no, the uh, what we found is um, people that have an artistic mind, like genuinely, like artists. For some reason, and it doesn't compete with my very silly crayon eating brain, but they said it's easy to just zone out and they enjoy it. It's almost therapeutic, and I'm like, okay, now you guys are crazy. Yeah, but. Uh, therapeutic. No, uh, I got four stabs into a frame before I said, take this away from me. Cause I'm gonna lose my mind. Yeah. I would, you know and, what? It's funny. Cause I would, I would think I would be like, oh, I think I could do this and I would eventually get bored and start rushing it and fuck it all up. That's what would, ha- I guarantee you, that's you'd what stop halfway through and be like, yeah, it's good enough. Yeah, it's good enough. <laughs> yeah. I only need texture on the one side. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so like literally, um, so we have a, a stipple team right now, five, uh, we hope to get up to eight and, uh, hopefully, hopefully by the end of the year, 12. Um, and you know, almost all of them are artists. I mean, like one guy is a full blown sculptor, literally he sculpts and paints on the side. Um, one does photography and, uh, pencil sketches. The other one is all into painting. Like almost all of them are in some type of art as their main hobby. Um, and so they just, they're wired different. Um, and it's funny. So now that we're in a free state, one of one of our stipplers, his name is John, and he's like the most eccentric guy. He's the sculptor, and we moved. And dude, he's never owned a gun in his life, but he's always he's been around it. He's been shooting with our guys and stuff. Well, the second we moved into a free state, he went out, got a Glock forty five. <laughs> then he had to have the frame done. Then he's like, "Hey, Will, our lead gunsmith, is this good ammo?" He's like, "That yeah, that that's great ammo. Good." He bought like. 5,000 rounds of ammo, <laughs> but then he got it comped. Then he bought an RMR. Then he bought a light. Then he's got a full blown um, LES concealment holster and he's like lifting his shirt, like, whoa. <laughs> all right, yeah. And awesome. so, yeah, it's funny. Um, you know, they're just, uh, they're gun people. They're into it. And they just, they zone out when they do this and they just 
totally thrive in that space. That's crazy. So now, as, as far as the trigger goes, uh, obviously, you, you mentioned the, the, the typical Glock trigger. Uh, do you guys have your own sort of manufactured internal parts? Are you using Apex parts? What, what are you guys doing with that? So we love to stick with almost everything is OEM in the gun okay. uh, when it comes to the trigger system. So for Glock specifically, we use an OEM bar when possible, which as of 2020 was damn near completely impossible. Um, Glock just stopped shipping parts. And I think it was probably the influx of guns that they have to build is why they did it. But I've also heard that because of the Biden regime um, threatening to ban online sales of parts, that they shut down all their sales orders to RSR and had to reset. So I, I don't know what's true or what's not true, but I've heard both. Um, so we had to find, and it took, that's why we had no drop in triggers for like two years, which really hurt our sales. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, we finally, finally found a replacement bar that meets our, our qualifications to use. And so we do modify the bar because when you take the pre-travel out of a trigger, you have to move things around on the bar. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why we use blind holes. Uh, do you, are you guys familiar with that term, what a blind hole is? No, I'm not. Okay, so on our trigger, the hole that you put the roll pin in uh, to hold it on doesn't go through the trigger shoe all entirely. So you only have a hole on one side. And it's so that you can't take the trigger apart or make it much more difficult to take apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and because people don't understand, there's this guy out there, I don't even want to say his name because it, it, I don't even want to give him more credence. Um, he's a bonehead. And he's out there telling people like, oh, look at this part and it has horrible wear and this is terrible. And he called us out without using our name saying, oh, I'm not going to name the name. And our gun is disassembled. And you can clearly see our logos everywhere. <laughs> and he was holding up like the um, the extractor. And he's like, oh, see, they're using used parts. This bald spot's used part. And it's like, no, here's a bag of 100 from the factory. And that's just the fixture point. So it's bald. Um, there's a lot of guys out there that are putting really bad genuinely dangerous, bad information into the marketplace. And it's really terrible. Um, but you don't want to get in a pissing match because no one's going to win on that one. Right. So genuinely, when you're working with somebody around trigger systems, yes, there's some guys that are very knowledgeable and can be great, but the best people to trust are certified, whether it's collegially or through an apprentice program, real genuine gunsmiths because they understand the systems. Um, you know, an armor is not taught to modify anything. An armor is taught to disassemble and reassemble OEM components only. So an armor is not the qualified person when it comes to that. A gunsmith is qualified whenever you have to modify stuff and not all guns. I'm assuming that you guys have a gunsmith on staff. Three, three. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you so, guys maintain all the safety, the drop safety. That's all the, your, yeah. is your, is your striker on a Glock I'm talking about is your striker mm-hmm. partially cocked. So ours is 100% OEM on the inside when it comes to the striker is factory, the factory spring, factory cups, factory everything. The connector, OEM, we don't mod, we don't swap those out. If you want to put a minus in there, Glock minus, sure. Um, return spring, all that stuff is the same. The thing that we modify is the trigger bar. So you have to do, the vertical extension has to be modified because we've taken a lot of the pre-travel out, but you can't take 100% of it out because you will not be on the drop safe ledge. Uh, if you're off the drop safe ledge, it can still bypass. Right. That's a big problem. So, um, and then a lot of people have these tests where they'll reach into the back and they'll pry down with a punch or whatever. What they don't realize is they're scraping the drop safe ledge 
and forcing something, which is actually moving material or removing material on that polymer housing. And they say, oh, look, it failed. And it's like, well, you actually forced it and it wouldn't have failed. Or sometimes, yeah, if you just push down real easy, it will fail. We do everything. We do the destructive testing. We videotape it. We um, uh, document it in writing. We hold all of our tested parts. God forbid we ever had to have them for whatever reason. We say, here's the 3D models. Here's the prints. Here's the factory parts that we use with our parts for testing. All of it's sealed, time and date stamped, videos of everything being drop tested uh, before we go into production on anything. And then every time we do a new run of triggers, we do another verification drop test where we then go through a whole other destructive testing process. Okay. Um, the, the triggers are so critical. And so like, that's why when people say, well, why don't you make it adjustable? Cause you can't do it safely. Yeah, no, I mean, trigger jobs are, are, are they definitely can be scary. Um, I've never, I've never had the opportunity to shoot one of your guns. Uh, have you managed to take out that sponginess and get a crisp wall? Cause that's obviously, you know, a big block thing is that sponginess. Yes. Yeah, we have. And the one thing though, to throw out there is we always encourage, send your, your drop in trigger with, you know, with your gun to do with the fitted system upgrade, or just send your gun in for us to do the fitted system because every Glock is a little different. You know, when you pull those mold, those uh, frames out of the mold, they're not perfectly cured because you got to pull them out before they stick. So when they come out, every frame warps just a hair in God knows which way. However, so like, even when we fixed them up, <clears throat> depending on how they grabbed it from the mold, right? Yeah. Yeah. So when they, they, they usually get ejected for those high volume molds. So you'll see like these little circle marks that we call them pucker pins and they'll, you know, push the uh, part out of the mold. And, but once they hit, depending on where they land, how they yeah. sit, how hot they were, um, is that mold newer? Is it older? Is it, you know, there's so many variables so that when we mount them in our fixture to on the manual mill to do our accelerator cuts, removal of the finger grooves, trigger our cuts, no frame is exactly the same. We actually have to walk it in and I go, okay, well, this cut was 50,000. This time it was 47,000. This time it's 55,000. It's a little different because they cure all just a little bit different. So that's why when people say, well, this drop in sucks in this gun, but it's great in this gun, it's polymer. So then you're stacking tolerance with a polymer trigger housing. Everything's going to be just a little bit different. And when you take all the slop out, you start to find how much of the variance you actually have in those polymer components. So a fitted system will always trump doing a drop-in at home unless you're yeah. really, really normal. No, that makes sense. So uh, we kind of went all over on this segment in terms of I like, just I'm oh, yeah, very, <laughs> I, I'm always interested in this stuff. So I, it's good to kind of pick your brain. But so uh, it sounds to me, this is my, I'm going to let you have the final word on this, but it sounds to me like if I were going to send in a gun for you to work on, it sounds like it would be grip, trigger, slide, kind of in that order um, in you want to give me kind of, am I right there? No, what do you slide think? First. Yeah, I would say, you know, if when it comes to like level of importance, and this is a personal opinion, the frame would be the most important. A trigger would be second. Slide would be third. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and that's mostly just because the grip is the most important thing, right? That's where you're going to get your consistency and God forbid, austere conditions. That's where you're going to have the contact with the gun. Uh, the trigger, because that's going to give you your refinement. The slide is for those extra serrations and, and that, you know, depending if you want to go lighter or not and that optic. Um, but with most factory signs being optic compatible now, you know, our system is, is great. Um, there are other systems out there that are not so great from the OEM, <clears throat> different, you know, factory stuff, but, um, you know, a lot of them do have an option for that. So that's why I say slide is actually, in my opinion, the third thing to do. Okay. All right. Well, there it is. So I, I, I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Michael, I want to thank you for uh, coming on the show and hanging out with us. I personally love modifying and personalizing my own gear. So I've long been a fan of agency arms and the personalizing that you guys do, all your personalized touches. And for me, nothing is better than a functional work of art. And agency arms certainly takes that concept to the next level. So I, uh, I appreciate what you guys are doing. And it was an honor to have you on. To everyone listening, we want to thank you again for taking time out of your day to tune into our show. You can find links in the show notes to all of our social media. So be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Discord so we can keep the conversation going. Thank you very much for having me. Of course. Thanks for being on.